When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast season review of 2021-22. In part one, we looked at the campaign just gone, our favourite moments, a consideration in hindsight of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's start to the season and of his successor, Ralph Rangnick. We compared the defence and attack the seasons gone by and looked at how the style of the team changed over the campaign. And in part two, we're going to look ahead to the era of Eric Ten Hag. We'll look at how our loanees did last year and whether they could be involved in Ten Hag. And we'll look at the academy as well, who were FA Youth Cup winners of the season. We'll consider also what needs to be done with regards to recruitment, character, squad harmony, club structure, ownership, captaincy, the shape of the team, and obviously transfers, as many of you have asked. And yeah, we'll answer some questions from the patrons who have supported the show all throughout the season, for which we are very grateful. And many of those questions surround transfers. I'm Harry Robinson and Jack Tate is alongside me as always and we'll get stuck in quickly. Let's begin, Jack. We've had a, uh, in part one, we've had a bit of a, well, yeah, obviously a grim review of the season because there were some uh, uh, some terrible moments and, and so many issues. Let's be a bit more positive. Eric Ten Hag has come in and yeah, there is some hope there, isn't there? Yeah, 100%. I think in my mind, Ten Hag was the best choice that we had for the new manager role was seems to have obviously come down to a choice between him and Pochettino. I don't think there was a huge amount to choose between them, but I think, as I said in the episode where we actually talked about Ten Hag's appointment, I personally leant more towards Ten Hag, probably out of a little bit of blissful ignorance, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think it's exciting. You know, it's exciting to have a, a manager who is going to come in, who I think is going to implement a very clear philosophy in the club. He seems... I think what I like about Ten Hag is that he comes across as someone who really sticks to his guns and knows what he wants and he's going to go after it. Yeah. And I think, to be honest, that is the kind of personality that is needed at this club to get over how badly run we are, basically. I think managers can get walked over very easily yeah. at Man United because so much so much lies in the hands of the executives and they have very specific things, I think, that they want that are very different often to what the manager wants. And so I think... The, the way that Ten Hag came in and he, he seems to command respect very, very easily. And I think that yeah. is a really good trait that 
definitely got me excited for how he might be able to deal with the the chaos that is inside Old Trafford. Yeah, his first press conference was good and it came in a day where he introduced himself to staff all over Old Trafford in the marketing department, but also in the canteen and, and the media department and uh, IT and, and all of these people and the groundsmen and whoever. Um, and that was, you don't have to do that. He could have gone on holiday straight away. He has now gone on holiday, but he could have gone straight away. And instead he came to introduce himself to the press and to staff at Man United. And, and that's how it should be done. And that was good. And it's part of a reset of the culture of the club. And this is something that Louis van Gaal has spoken about and that Juan Mata has spoken about. And I found it very interesting. Uh, and we'll play a clip from Louis van Gaal here. Uh, so listen to it first. I, I, I have spoken, but there is now a new uh, leadership. Eh? Uh, it was Woodford and now it's Richard Arnold. And that can make the difference. So uh, we have to wait and see. He has a lot of confidence. So, uh, who is I to say something about that? Yeah, Van Hal saying that now that Ed Woodward's gone, perhaps United can be successful. And it's interesting because it was only a couple of months ago that Van Hal was asked whether Eric Ten Hag should go to United as manager. And he said, no, don't do that. Go to a proper football club. And and this is the thing. Uh, a reset of the club is needed. Van Hal has said it. Matter has said it. Other players have said it. De Gea as well, I think. And plenty of ex-players and people who know about these things. But what does a, a club reset really mean, Jack? Well, I think in an ideal world, it would mean that the uh, the commercial side of things at the football club is completely subsumed underneath the footballing side of things. I don't think that's going to happen I don't think that's going to happen really at any top football club maybe in in the foreseeable foreseeable future just because of the amount of money that is in the game now yeah. but I think realistically what that probably means is having a clearer structure involved in the club and I think we have gone on paper some way towards doing that with John Murta and Darren Fletcher now in charge Richard Arnold obviously as executive director rather than Ed Woodward and I think we have like I said, on paper at least, because who knows how it's actually playing out in reality. But I think we have improved the way that that works. I think that reset should also mean coming in, having a manager who is backed. not, And I don't necessarily mean backed in terms of giving him £300 million. I don't think that's necessarily what backing means. I think backing means understanding that the manager is ultimately the most important person in the football club now and that we should be yeah. doing everything we can to execute his vision. Now that can mean signing players, but it can also mean things like the scheduling of training. It can mean things like the food that's being served in the canteen. It can mean things like the staff that he wants to bring in. These were all things that previous managers have, there, there have been rumours that previous managers have wanted certain things and they haven't been allowed because the club haven't allowed them to. We were just speaking about Ranić not getting yeah. the coaches that he wanted. So it's not just about backing in the transfer market. It's about backing the manager in all all assets, all aspects of the club, sorry. And, and allowing them to execute the vision that they really want. And it seems like Ten Hag is the type of manager that will have a very specific idea of what he wants. Everything that I know about Ten Hag suggests that. And I think if he does come to United with that kind of clear vision, we have to do as a football club, everything in our power to allow him to play out that vision the way that he wants. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the above the squad, uh, above the squad and above the manager what needs to change. And yeah, the, the, you're right. The structure does seem to be coming together more with, not just with Murta and Fletcher, but also the appointment of a 
Deputy Football Director, Andy O'Boyle, who was Head of Elite uh, Performance at the Premier League, which is the role that uh, perhaps coincidentally, but also perhaps not the role that John Murta used to hold at the Premier League as well. And then, yeah, with Richard Arnold. And and it's needed for so many reasons to to allow innovation, which United haven't had for years, to allow proper communication, which is something the players have complained about, not knowing who's really in charge. And that's a bad sign because if the players don't know who's in charge, then what about the rest of the employees and people outside of the club? And so, yeah, it does seem to be coming together and that's that's very good and that's great. But if minor decisions at the club are still getting checked with Joel Glazer, then United will never move forward or never move forward enough to win proper trophies and, and challenge for titles again. Um, and the other thing I think uh, kind of at the level above the squad that needs to change is United have to stop parading ourselves as, as the biggest club in the world and there should be champions. There's a very fine balance to be struck between good arrogance of accepting and, and acknowledging that, yeah, we're Manchester United and things should be done properly here and we should strive for excellence in everything. And uh, well, as Matt Busby said, strive for perfection and if not, excellence will have to do. Um, yes, but in terms of the marketing arm, yeah, there shouldn't be this constant art. United should be champions of England. We shouldn't be champions of England. We should earn ourselves and make ourselves champions of England. Um, so yeah, that's good. And then within the squad, there's slightly different things that need reset, isn't there? There's the kind of squad harmony. We should be recruiting good characters who fit into that. And the new manager needs to come in and, and bring that group together, smash up the divisions that are caused by language and age and, uh, character and also state his expectations of the players because the play, there's not been enough expected of the players in the last few years. They've been allowed to get away with too much, I think. And players who don't meet those ex- expectations will have to be moved on. And that's where Ten Hag needs the backing from John Murtagh and, and the football directive team. Absolutely. I think players at United have been maybe given too much free reign, too much freedom to, to kind of do what they want effectively within the club. And I think that's led to some of those dressing room issues that we talked about in the first part that you would have heard before. You know, I think, again, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know everything about Ten Hag, but from what I do know about about him and from what I saw in that opening press conference, he does strike me as the kind of manager that isn't going to put up with with shit, basically. I think Solskjaer, for how good he was as as a man manager in terms of, you know, getting people's confidence up, making them feel wanted, making them feel like they are really part of his of his team, of his squad. I I I think maybe there was a there was an argument that he came across slightly too soft at times. And again, we don't know exactly what he's like in the dressing room, but I think there was definitely a an argument that potentially he wasn't quite harsh enough on the players to keep them in line. And I definitely don't think that's going to be an issue with Ten Hag. And I think that is one of the things that he needs to do is really just drive up standards all across the club. You know, it's not good enough to to be having these sort of fights and training and for, you know, remember Lindelof and Bruno Fernandes having an argument on the pitch in the Europa League final and all this kind of stuff. There needs to be more harmony. And, and that starts both from Ten Hag, but also from leaders in the dressing room too. And it sounds like we've had a problem of both, maybe a, a lack of leadership from the likes of Maguire. And there was obviously a lot of stories about Maguire not being a popular captain in the dressing room and other people wanting others to be captain instead of him. But it's not just Maguire, it's also other other players in leadership roles, like, say, Ronaldo, De Gea, Varane. 
It's about all of them coming together, not being in their little cliques that are defined by players they might yeah. know before, players they might play with with their national it's, teams. It's about them coming together and creating that unity in the squad. Yeah, but then, it's, yeah, it's, there's, you want that unity, but it's not all about harmony because... I haven't got anything against players sometimes having an argument on the pitch. I think that's that's all right. It's about there should be those leaders shouldn't necessarily be driving harmony all the time. It should be driving competition and, and standards. That's what the squad themselves need to work yeah, on. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't mean harmony in that it needs to all be sunshine and rainbows and everyone needs to be having a joke and a laugh together all the time. But ultimately I think it felt and again I'm saying this we're saying this as people that you know aren't privy to what's happening in the dressing room but from looking from the outside it seemed as though the United team last season everyone was pulling in different directions I don't think it's a problem if people were having disagreements but disagreements about how we get to the same destination basically yeah. whereas it felt like last year everyone was sort of pulling in, to go in different directions and yeah, that, that is when it becomes a problem well, and also there was a lot of self yeah there was a lot of self-serving stuff where leaks, well, yeah, leaks would exactly, come out because exactly. certain players weren't playing and they wanted to play or a widely reported f- story that Eric by questioned why Harry Maguire was playing and he wasn't. That's, that's not what you kind of want. That's not the standards you want. Maybe. Yeah. Let's talk about the captaincy. Corey Lennox, one of our patrons has asked what are your thoughts on it. I'd honestly like to see it given to De Gea. Corey says his return to form has been great. It seems he truly loves the club and wants to fight to see it return to where it was when he arrived. I agree with that. I don't think De Gea should be captain because I don't think it's clear yet whether he will be United's goalkeeper going forward beyond this season or next. There's some suggestion that United should leave it open to the players, but I don't think that's... I'm not convinced that's a great idea given the division in the team. I think... I uh, until about a month ago, I never wanted to hand Ronaldo the captaincy, but I don't think Fernandez has shown the right qualities. He's obviously very driven and cares deeply, but I don't think he's shown the right qualities over this season to be given the captaincy. I don't think that is clear enough. I don't think Maguire should have it anymore. Uh, and I think Ronaldo is, is the alternative. Um, and for the season and this may be his last season at United and I think probably should be but we'll see about that but I think yeah I think Cristiano Ronaldo should be United captain going forward yeah I think I I agree with Corey that I think De Gea is a good candidate as captain and I think internally if it is if it is absolutely clear in Ten Hag's mind that De Gea no questions asked will be starting the season as United's goalkeeper I would give it to De Gea yeah, yeah, that's I fair, personally yeah. don't want De Gea to be United's starting goalkeeper because I, I think, as we mentioned in the first part, I think there are reasons why he, he is quite a big negative for our team. And so for that reason, if there is any uncertainty over whether De Gea will be the number one, it shouldn't be given to him. But And, it, and if, it, if that is the case, then I, I do think Ronaldo is the obvious alternative. I'm with you that I, I don't... I can't even really explain why I don't re- love the idea of giving it to Ronaldo. Because it takes him up. He's already on an, uh, an extra pedestal. Yeah. I, I think that can be a problem. I think I said this when uh, Ten Hag came in about, and we were talking about what kind of re- role Ronaldo would have next season. I think if I, if I was a new manager, and this is obviously hypothetical, um, my message to be to Ronaldo would be, I'm giving you the armband. I want you to be the leader of my team. You're not going to play every game and I am going to sign another striker and 
he will play games ahead of you sometimes. He might play big games ahead of you sometimes. But I want you to lead this team and get United back to success and try and get buy-in from him like that. And say you are going to play a lot of games, like 35 or 40 games, but you're not going to play 50 or 60 games. And I want you to prioritise, for example, whether it's you decide it's the Premier League or the Europa League, ideally we'd be in the Champions League and you'd say, Ronaldo, you'd say to Ronaldo, look, you're my Champions League striker, I want to win the Champions League and you're going to play every game in that. There will be Premier League games, many of them where you don't play and try to get buy-in from that and and then set out those parameters early so that we don't have any problems from, and, and set them out relatively publicly as well so that you don't have a thing of, ah, oh, Ten Hag's dropped his captain because that's always a bad look. And that's why Maguire can't be captain. Yeah, it? yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like when you think about criteria for a captain, number one has to be they they play, I think, at least sort of 80% of the games or at least if they're not going to be playing every game, it needs to be for reasons of like rest rather than they're just actually not first choice. Yeah, exactly. Which it would be with Ronaldo. Yeah, exactly. And that's why Maguire is a problem because I don't think it's necessarily the case that he is guaranteed to be a starter at the moment. I think that's also the problem with a lot of other, a lot of other potential candidates for it. You know, like the likes of McTominay, I think is a decent, in terms of the, the, the qualities as a person, as a leader that you need, I think McTominay is a good candidate, but he's not going to play enough to make it okay for him to be captain. So I think really the only three players in my head that are fully nailed on to probably start maybe not start every game but like we said to be first choice are probably Ronaldo Fernandes and De Gea and out of those three assuming that De Gea is there I would and that's no question I'd give it to De Gea if there is a question on that I do think Ronaldo is the best option but I I like the way Fernandes isn't guaranteed to start every game and and in an ideal world you, if if Ten Hag can get the best out of Donny van der Beek and make him a good Premier League player, then in an ideal world, you have van der Beek play the games that he is suited to and you have Fernandes play the games that he is suited to. There are different oppositions where they, they both play better. In which case, neither, yeah. well, it doesn't matter about van der Beek, but Fernandes won't be playing a free game and I don't think he should unless he gets that just completely ridiculous form back that he found when he first arrived. Yeah. I, there are so few guaranteed starters. I think... I'm not. I'm not sure there are any guarantee starters, and there shouldn't be. Yeah. So I, I think. I think. I think we're coming out of this then, saying that if if De Gea is 100 percent there, and that's not and that's not a question, then make De Gea captain. If there's even a, even a slight question of whether he's going to be there or not, yeah. it should go to Ronaldo. Let's talk about Maguire a little bit because we've had a few questions uh, from Ethan and Reed saying what what should our priorities be in terms of signings. Uh, Reed's given a, a kind of helpful scale where he's put his own thoughts on which signings are critical to get, which are important and which are less important. He's put centre-back less important, uh, which I agree with, although it seems United are interested in Yuri and Timber from, from Ajax, who is a centre-back. Maguire's an interesting one. He's just had a decent couple of games with England. And I think it's a reminder of... I think it's useful to remind ourselves that Maguire can be United's starting centre-back in a very good United team. I have no problem saying that. I think he's, the captaincy should be removed from him. Um, but he's different to all of our centre-backs and there are very few centre-backs in the league who could do what he can do when he's on form in terms of driving out and creating chances from United from defence and also being a pretty good centre-back as well uh, defensively. So... It's worth reminding that in a, if they can stay fit and find form, Maguire-Varane would be a pretty great partnership. 
there are obviously a lot of other factors, but I think I I have faith that Maguire will come good again next season and be a really important player for United, just not as captain and not on this kind of yeah. extra, well, not on this extra pedestal that you have as United captain with the pressure taken off as well. I, th- I think Maguire has shown in the past as well that he doesn't play his best when he has quite so much pressure on him. I don't mean pressure in terms of the type of game, like he plays you know better against worse teams, but I remember there was that point in what it would have been 2019, was it 2019-20 or 2021, where he started the season quite badly, got sent off for England. Right, yeah, after, that's it. He started quite Greek. badly. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he started the season badly. He got sent off for England and then he was taken out of the lineup for a couple of games for United and, and he came back in and once he had sort of been taken out of the, li- the limelight for a few days, a few games, and he seemed to come back with a bit less of eyes on him, he was brilliant. And that season, he was one of the best centre-backs in the league. He's one of our best players that season. And I, and I do, so I do think there's precedent for Maguire if you can take the captaincy away from him and take a little bit of that pressure off. Maybe it will help him go back and just maybe keep things a bit more simple with a bit less pressure and just play his natural game. Because like you said, I, I, I don't have any, well, I don't want to say I don't have any worries, but I would be okay with Maguire starting at centre-back for Man United. The problem is he is a centre-back that has quite clear limitations in his game and we need to build the way that we play defensively and, and with the ball around, partially at least, around what Maguire can do and what he can't do. There's been a lot of rumours of Ten Hag wanting to play three at the back with the United, which I think would suit Maguire down to the ground. I think he's very good as as a centre-back in a three because it means that his pace isn't exposed quite as much. But I, I think Maguire still has a lot of value to bring to Manchester United. I just don't think he should be captain. And I don't think... I think he has the right character to be United, a United player as well. 100%. I don't think that's in doubt. It's just he's not quite there to be captain. And that's fine. Most play, most players aren't. That's, that's okay. Let's talk a bit about transfers. Corey Lennox has asked, well said, Cristiano's put quite a large bandage on the impending gap at the striker position. With only one year left uh, for him, what type of number nine should we be targeting? Do you have a specific player you can think of that's attainable and fits the mould? Uh, definitely not on a specific player. Um I think it's so hard to decide who which players United should sign. And I also think it's often a, a pointless tactic and one we've probably done in the past, but there are so many players. And I think the point with United is we shouldn't be, we probably shouldn't be signing the obvious player and we probably won't be able to get them either because of money or because they'll go to other clubs who are playing in the Champions League. So, and Darwin Nunes is the perfect example of that is if he was going to cost 60 million instead of 80 or 90 and there wasn't any competition from Champions League clubs and yeah, yeah, great, let's get Darwin Nunes. But actually Liverpool are going for him as well who have just played in the Champions League final and won a couple of trophies and finished second and can pay 90 million because he's kind of the one player they need. So he's not going to come to us. So let's not go for the obvious one and let's not list loads of names who we could get. But I think as a player, and I haven't seen that much of him, but from what I've read and the bits I have seen, that's the kind of mould we want. That hardworking striker with with really good movement and who can press from the front and is a decent finisher. Um, would you agree? And so at a, at a very base level, in terms of style, that's possibly someone like Calvert-Lewin or Ivan Tony. but you're looking for someone better than that. Um, and Darwin Nunes is perhaps one of them. Yeah, I think that profile is is right. And, and I agree with everything that you said about Nunez 
and that I think he would be a good fit. Everything that I've seen of him has been, you know, very good. But yeah, I think, I mean, that's what you get for playing in the Europa League. Quite frankly, is is you get you don't get all the targets that you want. You do get passed over from players who when they have a chance to go to Liverpool or Man City or even Chelsea, why would they pick Man United other than for wages, which isn't really the reason why we want someone to come to United in the first place because we've seen that that's caused us a lot of problems in the past. Yeah, just to go back to... But yeah, I do think that is... Sorry, just to go back to a a Ralph Rennick quote. The players United should be signing are the ones who, for them, this is the next logical step in their career. It's what's best for their career to come to Manchester United. And I think that's right. And for Darwin Nunes, it's not. Yeah. Because he's already playing in the Champions League and he can move to a big club now already. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. agree with all of that. I think you want sort of a younger, hungry player to come in who, personally, I think United really need a striker who can be involved in build-up to quite a significant degree. And that's why we played so well with Cavani when Cavani was at his best last season. Well, the season before this one, 2021. Because when Cavani was having his good games, the problem was that he was quite inconsistent, partially on account of his age. But when Cavani was at his best and he was that kind of profile, he was someone who was very good at getting into good positions in the box, but he was also very adept at coming, at dropping deeper, being involved in the build-up play. And he was a very, very hard worker defensively as well. Like That is the kind of profile we want. And when Cavani was at his best last season, I thought he fit that team perfectly. The I guess the yeah the the trick is is who do you bring in and I I don't watch enough European football to really talk that much about anyone yeah. outside of the prem but I think Ivan Tony is probably the right the right kind of profile like you said I'd want someone better than that but yeah I think that is that is the, the right kind of striker for me that I think United should be should be looking to bring in I think we've had for a number of years a lot of strikers who including Ronaldo who who aren't involved a whole lot in the in the build-up and I, and I don't think it's been good for us when it's happened. It's really interesting as well that the two, well, two best clubs in England at least, City and Liverpool, are both signing number nines this year. Given that in the last few years there's been conversations about kind of how number nines aren't really that, that important anymore and City are signing Haaland and Liverpool possibly Darwin or possibly someone else but it's, it's interesting. Um, what position do you I'll think pro- is... I'll, this will probably end up coming back to bite me, but I'm convinced that Haaland is not... It doesn't really make sense as a signing for Man City. I think he'll do well just because he's a very good player and Man City are a very, very good team. So how can he not? But stylistically, I don't think he fits Man City very well at all. No. I mean, some people are suggesting he's a, a post-Pep signing, which is possible. Preparing I mean, for, yeah, potentially. Preparing and for it, life it, it also might just be a bit of an opportunity cost. It's like... Yeah. If we don't get him, someone else will. So yeah. we've just got to stop Which that. It's a very happening. United thing to do. What, what what position do you think is priority? Well, where would yeah. you put striker in the priority list? Because I think we can all agree midfield is most important. And given Pogba and Matic have left, and Lingard and Mata, um, I think United need to side two midfielders, not one. At the moment, our midfield yeah, choice, I agree. discounting Andreas Pereira, for example, is Fred. Ooh, there's been the McTominay. classic pre-season rumours that he's going to play this season, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Um, Fred McTominay and then there's well Van der Beek and Fernandez, but they're different kind of midfielders they're number 10s really uh, and then you've got Hannibal coming through but he's also kind of a number 10 uh, you've got Garner Levitt and Galbraith but Garner's probably ready the other two aren't Garner's definitely worth taking a chance on but even with Garner I think I'd want to see a sign two midfielders yeah 
I don't think it's going to happen, but that's what, you know, if if we're serious about this, that's what we should be doing. Yeah, I think two midfielders, in my head, we need both a number six and a number eight. And if it is only going to be one of those, which it shouldn't be, then I think a number six is more of a priority because the players we yeah. have can play as a number eight better than they can play as a number six. Um, that's why like the, all the Frankie de Jong links I think is great I think de Jong is a, is a wonderful player but if he's the only midfield signing that we make I, I still yeah. don't think it's going to work that well he he could he could play well but I still think the, the midfield is, is going to be a bit of a mess so yeah two midfield signings in terms of the priority I would say the prior, the three biggest priorities for me are midfielder centre back right back okay. um, yeah. and then I I think if I don't think it would be the end of the world if we didn't sign a striker this summer. No. <laughs> it, yeah. But I think it, it would absolutely, like, be- before the end of next summer, we absolutely need to assign a striker. Otherwise, we're in real trouble. But if it came down to a choice between we can either get a sort of rotation f- player with Ronaldo who will then come in and play every game f- next season or say a right-back or centre-back, I would take the right-back or centre-back over the, the Interesting. On the other, we have one striker. There's no Greenwood. There's no Cavani. Rashford's not uh, a number nine. Martial, but that's... I mean, it's bad if we're having to use Anthony Martial next season. We shouldn't be. He should be being sold. And I think the other problem is there's no... There's not even a backup academy striker to come through. Charlie McNeil's not ready. Joe Hugo's not ready. Yeah. Damani Mello's left. He... He's not at that level anyway, although he had a, a really good season in under-23s and is a great character and a really good player, but he's not at that level. Um, there isn't someone who can be kind of that third choice. United don't have that in the academy. What United do have in the academy, and I think this is also a point worth raising, is a lot of players who could be really useful next season. And given that a lot of changes need to happen to this squad, should be used. So I think Ethan Laird should be United's backup right back and should be given a lot of chances. I think Garner should be at least given a chance. And there's a, a little bit different with there because Garner's clearly ready to play in the Premier League or at least play at a high level. And if he's not going to make it United, then a bit of me thinks, okay, well, the sensible thing to do, a well-run club, if he's not ready for United now, would be to sell him and have a buyback clause, but to sell him and raise some money for for other signings while his value is high. And because realistically, if he doesn't make it this season, he's probably not going to make it the season after. So I think, yeah, anyway, I think United should use those academy talents. And, and there's Ahmad and there's Polistri as well, who could be useful. And there's lots of these young players who could be really good. They're not who you want to build your team around yet, but they are good squad options. And United can bulk out our squad with some very good young players. And in Polistri and Ahmad players, who we spent quite a significant amount of money on as well. Yeah, there's a lot of players who... I guess I've been kind of forgotten about that can hopefully be be good contributors. I think, yeah, li- listening to the, the the depth options you list out, striker. I think the more I think about this, I th- I, the more I think that Martial is going to be kind of key. Like not not necessarily as a player, but what we do with Martial, I think is going to be key to determining where the priority lies yeah. in the summer. Because we do get rid of Martial. You are right that one bad injury to Ronaldo, and we are playing the season without a recognised striker, basically. Which you know maybe Ten Hag can play without a recognised striker, but I I wouldn't feel incredibly confident going through a whole season sort of forced into that. If Martial stays and he's okay with sitting on the bench and playing, you know, fifteen twenty games in that season, then I I I would say that a, a right back or centre back would take priority for me. But yeah, if he does go, I mean, we should be selling Martial, and so and if we do that, 
that will hopefully raise some money that we can use to buy a striker at the very least as a backup for this season. I think now we're talking about, I think number one priority, number six, possibly number two is a centre forward. Yeah. Number three, a right back. And number four, the second central midfielder. And then beyond that is, is not luxuries, but what we probably won't be able to get, which is possibly a goalkeeper, another centre back, uh, uh, yeah, another midfielder or or a right winger or a left back or whatever. United could sign a player in any position. <laughs> they, they could all do with some improvement. But yeah, so I think number six, striker, right back are the three United probably really need. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, there's so much that needs to be done. We, we need a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's mad. Pretty much the only positions we maybe don't need a signing in is left wing and number 10. Yeah. But to be fair, so United needs to sign and when United sign a number six, it's going to be expensive because that player needs to be really good and they'll probably be quite well known. And so they'll yeah. be expensive. The centre forward doesn't need to be. No, no. Um, that, that's why I'm saying, I think selling Martial could probably cover whatever you need to get, whoever it is that you bring into replace. You're looking, you're looking for the right profile of player, not kind of a world-class centre forward who's going to lead the line you, for United. You know what we're looking for? We're looking for a Solskjaer type signing, basically. Solskjaer yeah. the player. Yeah. Yeah. I've, well, Reed, Reed Blazer, one of our patrons, has said possibly someone like Sebastian Haller, who was obviously at Ajax with yeah. Ten Hag, uh, which isn't, yeah, not out of the question. Yeah. It's, so the striker is not going to be a break-the-bank signing. That's a, a right profile. The right-back, again, shouldn't be someone like that. There are plenty of good value right backs. And this is where it's a shame that Randick is not involved because as I, I think we mentioned before, his knowledge of good uh, developing young European talents who could be bought for not too much money will be really useful with those signings. The midfield is a different matter. I think you know, when, when you're bringing in a, a brilliant number six, they're going to need to be ready and they need to be really good because that, that signing depends. That, that signing makes or breaks this United team really. But the others, yeah. I mean, there's so, I'm looking through Reed's notes here. There's so many names. There's Haller, Darwin Nunez, and Didi Rice, Lautaro Martinez. There's Anthony, Rafinha. There's, there's just so many. Yeah. What do you think? Because it's interesting that this summer started. There's a lot of, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 8th of June, for your information. And there's a lot of, chat on Twitter and Reddit and, and social media about how United or for example when journalists are saying send me your questions is why uh, why is why has it been such a quiet start to the summer for United and the truth I mean the transfer window is not even opened yet it opens on Friday the 10th um, and we've had a manager this, for all of three weeks yeah and the season's barely ended there's international games going on so but it is interesting that the rumours around United's transfers are lesser than they have been in previous summers. Is that a good sign? Because I think it is. Yes, absolutely it is. Because I think it, it it probably means that United are getting played less in the transfer market. At least you would hope that. I think, like, obviously it can be exciting as a fan when you're scrolling through Twitter on, you know, a, a random Tuesday in June when there's no football gone and you, you want to see some excitement, it can be fun to see your team linked with every player under the sun. But I think it, it it's indicative of a team that is sort of lurching from place to place in terms of who they're trying to sign. And I think it's also a, a sign of a team that is probably being used by agents as, you know, a ba- basically a negotiating point, whether that's 
to get a better contract from wherever they currently are, like the famous one Sergio Ramos back in the day, or whether it's to get yeah. a better offer from another team who are trying to sign that player. You know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that United maybe aren't in the news quite so much with all these these transfer rumours. The, the one that, that I think is, has been the most consistent and stuck around and seems to have the most concrete links to it so far does seem to be Timber. And, and you know, it, it, that makes sense. I always like it when a new manager comes in and every almost every single player they've ever managed comes into the, the transfer room mill for whatever yeah. club they're at now. I think we've basically been linked to every starting uh, player from, from IX for last season, but... Timber does seem to be the one that is the most concrete and seems to be the most likely to be Ten Hag's first signing. Yeah, which I, I don't know enough about Timber to say that will be a great signing, but seems like it will be a good signing. Uh, in terms of loans, uh, maybe I think we're going to have to leave running through kind of every every one of them for another time. Or uh, if you are interested, I wrote a piece in United you know, We Stand reviewing all the under-23s players, all the under-18s players and all the low-knees seasons. So if you want a proper review of that, then get the summer specially United We Stand. But the other one that I think Ten Hag could use uh, as well as Laird and Garner, well, I mean, Ted and Mengi and Dishon Bernard both proved themselves in the championship over the last couple of years. And Bernard was really good at Hull City before they changed the manager in January and then he played a bit less. But he's had a lot of minutes now in the championship and the season before he played 30 times for Salford in League Two. So he's he's got some proper experience now and is a good, mature defender with pace and can bring the ball out from the back and could be a decent uh, part of United's defensive unit. Obviously not a starter, but a part of it. And I, I guess the same is true for Teddy Menge as well. Uh, Laird could be used, probably should go out on loan again, but that's down to recruit. All of them is, if you can send these players on loan again, then probably do, but they all could be really useful as well. And then of course, there's people like Shola Shuratiri and, and Garnacho and Hannibal, Ahmad Palistri, uh, a few others that have, have, have done well, Isaac Hansen and, and Kobe Minor. There's lots of talented players there. But in terms of who could be a part of Ten Hag's squad, if you ask me to name two, it would be Garner and Bernard, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, let, let's wrap up shortly. In terms of what's coming up over the next few weeks, the Premier League fixtures are out on Thursday, the 16th of June at 9am. That'll be interesting. For what reason it's interesting? I don't think it's quantifiable, but I think we all as football fans know that that is an incredibly interesting and exciting day when the fixtures come out and also will let me plan the rest of my life to go around those fixtures. Uh, the, the one thing I, we did want to talk about, changes to the rules next season, Jack. Five subs in the Premier League is a, is a really big one. And and probably a bigger, uh, gives an even bigger argument for keeping people like Polistri and Ahmad and Garner and Laird and Bernard around because you will be able to give them minutes in games where last season you wouldn't have been able to. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's one of the few benefits of being in the Europa League as well and is that we hopefully can afford to give some minutes to some of those other players. But also having a couple of good cup runs, it will be nice for them to get more of a chance. That was like a, a kind of underrated part of last season as well, that we went out of both cups so early that so few players were able to get much out of it. But yeah, pre-season should be interesting. I mean, it's always, it's, it's just like silly, isn't it? How into pre-season everyone gets because it's just, you're just sort of, sort of starving for yeah. some football and then that's what you get. And you, you see players come in and they have a couple of good performances and it's all you always get too excited about everyone. So I mentioned Andreas Pereira earlier because there's been more rumours that he could be given a chance in preseason. I think players that it could be a big preseason for 
I think James Garner is one because I think I think he's probably on the edge of whether he is going to go back out on loan yeah, or be given a chance at United. I think there's, especially with Forrest being promoted, I think there's a good chance he could go back on loan to Forrest and the club would still view that as worth it for him because he's, you know, obviously taking a step up from the Championship to the Premier League, but still staying in an environment that he knows under a manager that clearly trusts him. But yeah, I think... I think it's it's 50-50 whether he does go back there or, or stay in. And so pre-season for him is probably going to be really important. It will probably also be a slightly more important pre-season than most for United, just purely because of the new manager. And I think, I don't think results are important in pre-season at all, but just, you know, getting used to the to the system. Hopefully a lot of that work will obviously have been done in training, but I think there's probably going to be more to do in pre-season around trying to get the players fully acclimatised to how each role in that team it's supposed to be playing. Oh, there's, a, there's a shit ton of work to do in pre-season in terms of that. So the players come back on Monday, the 27th of June, if they haven't been in their international well, sure, teams. I, I mean in like the actual pre-season matches. Yeah, well, yeah. But like the, the pre-season is massively important for that. This is a whole new system and we've most of us would have read about how Tenard goes into a club and the players find it really boring at the start because he's basically using them as human mannequins to teach them where they should be at various times of a game and take the instinctiveness out of some moments and create a proper team structure. So those matches are going to be properly important. But yeah, so the players come back if they're not in their international squads over the Nations League and over these this period of playoffs and qualifiers. They come back on the 27th of June. If not, they'll be back a bit later. And then we have games on the 12th, the 15th, the 19th, the 23rd and the 30th of July against Liverpool, Melbourne Victory, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa and Atletico Madrid. And those games uh, start off in Bangkok, then a couple in Melbourne, one in Perth, and then over to Oslo uh, for the game against Atleti, which should be pretty fun, to be fair. And then the season starts early on the 6th and 7th of August. So uh, there isn't, uh, there's basically a month, really, for Ten Hag to get this United team together. And then it's just full in from there because of the World Cup being in the winter. We will play pretty much every midweek from the start of the season until the World Cup in the middle of November. So it's going to be pretty manic and it's very important. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's wrap up. Jack, what are you looking forward to over the next few weeks without football? I don't know, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely really disappointed that the World Cup isn't, isn't this summer. <laughs> I've been more and more disappointed by that as the days have gone past recently. Just like, it's going to be so strange watching World Cup games in freezing yeah. weather when it's getting dark at four o'clock. Like, Especially like growing up in the Northern Hemisphere, especially in England, as we did, like the, when the World Cup is on, you just associate the World Cup with late nights where it's like, it's light out until 10 yeah. o'clock. You're in a beer Barmy garden. Late nights, yeah. yeah, exactly. And now it's just, it's going to be so strange having it in the winter. It's kind of going to ruin the Premier League. But for now, what I'm excited for, yeah. I'm excited for, yeah. for the cricket season. I've been enjoying watching this new, yeah. new era of England cricket. Watching the T20 blast, and new like that. Re, Red Bull reset with a uh, Red Bull reset with England and red shirt yeah. reset for well, Man we United. Gonna, well, we thought it was going to be a Red Bull reset with with Ralph Rennick, but it wasn't, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, instead, it's a, a ten arg reset. But yeah, resets every yeah. The cricket season's good, not just with England, but also with the T20 and uh, the hundred will be back, which is a questionable format and questionable in many ways, but has many benefits, including very cheap tickets and very accessible. Uh, so I'm also looking forward to that, having been last summer. 
Uh, and Wimbledon, Roland Garros was good fun. Rafa Nadal winning his 14th was uh, just a week after Real Madrid won their 14th, which we haven't mentioned, but that was a great relief. Uh, Real Madrid was winning that game. We haven't uh, actually even, we, we also haven't really talked about just the end of the, the Premier League season in general, because you obviously did the episode after Palace. Yeah. <laughs> How crazy that was. Yeah, it was. And at we least, all forget at that At least we aren't the forever. only ones that, yeah. Well, at least we aren't the only ones that have been on the end of one of those ferocious Man City comebacks on the last day yeah I think because I like wasn't watching live I then watched it back obviously and I was obviously following the game but because I didn't watch it live I probably underestimate just how like amazing that comeback is it's out yeah, yeah. well and I, I feel like so I ended up doing this and I've, I've I heard a lot of people who ended up kind of like this. when Man City went 2-0 down I switched over to the Liverpool game because I was like, the Liverpool game is was what's on a knife edge now because at that point it was still a draw. It was 1-1. So if Liverpool score one goal, it changes everything. But in the Man City game, it's going to yeah. take three goals to change anything because whether Man City drew, it didn't matter. They had to win. So then it was like, I was switching yeah. over to the Liverpool game. So I missed I missed almost all of the Man City comeback because by the time I realised what, how what was happening, they'd already scored two of their goals. Yeah, yeah. It was a yeah weird day. Very, very weird way to end the season. Definitely. Um, Pretty good though, that eventually, the way that couple of weeks ended, that Liverpool only ended up with, with two trophies. City won the league. Absolutely, yeah. Obviously, it's still awful, but if you'd have offered me that in the end of March, I'd have snapped your hand off for it. Yeah, absolutely. Just gives a relief to this entire summer. But yeah, anyway, football will be back in about, <laughs> in about a month. Uh, United's first pre-season game on the day we're recording is a month and four days away. It's not very long. Uh, and that will be exciting. Wow. Eric Ten Hag, there'll be lots of Ten Hag content and seeing the young players and seeing possibly a few new signings. It'll be fun. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you very much for listening. If this is your first time, thank you for tuning in. If this is your, what, 37th time during the season, thank you very much for listening and thanks for your support as always. It's much appreciated. If you have any ideas or comments on what we should be doing next season, uh, when we kick off with Series 8 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, then do let us know. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod, P-O-D at the end there. Or you can tweet me at HarryRobinson64. You can tweet Jack at... At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. Yeah. Let us know what you think. And yeah, other than that, have a great summer. And a particular thank you to our patrons. And not just the ones who sent in uh, questions, but just to our patrons for letting us records two parts of a season review instead of just one and that's the that's the kind of difference you make so thank you to you everyone have a great summer been a pleasure talking to you throughout the season goodbye Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.